Good morning. The opening ceremonies are Friday in Beijing for the Summer Olympics. And one of the most amazing events in the Summer Olympics is the decathlon. Some athletes specialize in certain events in track, but the decathlete has to specialize in and do well in almost all of them. He does 10 events. He sprints. He jumps hurdles. He runs distance. He does the long jump, the high jump, the pole vault. He has to throw the discus, the shot, the javelin. He has to do all those events and do them well. And as I reflect back on athletes like Bruce Jenner in the Olympics, I can't help but draw a parallel with the way many people view the church today. Many people view the church today as a place where we come and we sit and we cheer on a superstar spiritual athlete, the pastor, as he does it all. Well, that's not the analogy that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church is not a decathlon. The church is a body made up of different parts in that body that all must function together. And so the church is not one high-powered, multi-talented achiever and many spectators. It's many variously gifted individuals doing many various ministries and no spectators. We are all specially gifted by God to serve in his church and to build up his church. And for the church to function the way God designed it to function, we must all determine what our gift is and begin to serve in that capacity. Now, this is our sixth week of discussing the gifts mentioned in the New Testament, and I trust that during this time you're starting to focus on a particular gift that God may have given to you. If not, today we're going to touch on the remaining gifts in the New Testament, and this is going to be very practical. So if you haven't found a gift yet, I think you will see one in our time today. And to begin, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says he gave some as apostles, we've talked about them, and some as prophets, we've talked about them, and some as evangelists. There's a gift of evangelists. Now, most people, I heard, heard evangelists described as a guy with 15 sermons and 15 suits. The, the evangelist is the guy that we think about as traveling around and, and sharing the gospel in that capacity. And of course, this is one of those gifts, like most of the gifts that we've talked about, that evangelism is a responsibility of every Christian, but there are certain individuals that are especially gifted with this spiritual capacity. They have the ability to diagnose a person's spiritual condition. They have that spiritual ability to probe the conscience, to answer objections, to clearly present the message of the gospel to encourage decisions of faith in Jesus Christ. 
may interest you to know that this word is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used in Acts 21.8 where it talks about Philip, and it says, Philip the evangelist. Now, if you read about Philip, you will find that he traveled around to fresh territory and preached the word of God from city to city to multitudes of people, but he also shared the gospel one-on-one. We read about one account where he shared it with the, you remember, the Ethiopian eunuch. So he did it with multitudes, and he did it with individuals, and I think when we talk about this gift, some people may be more inclined or more gifted by God to do it in the multitude capacity. Some may be more spiritually inclined by God to do that one-on-one. Either way, it's the gift of evangelist. Words also used in 2 Timothy 4.5 where Paul addresses Timothy and tells him to do the work of an evangelist. And Timothy was working in already established churches, and so he tells him to use that gift within the context that he was in. And then the third place that that word is used is in the passage we just read in Ephesians 4.11. And if you'll notice what he says here, he says he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Evangelists are given not only to go out and do evangelism, but they are given to train Christians how to better do evangelism so that you as a Christian can go out and do the work. So the gift of evangelist is a person who, yes, goes out to fresh territory and wins people to Christ and plants churches. He's also someone who works within the context of established churches to reach those who are not yet saved. But he also is able to train Christians, those of us who don't have this gift, to train and challenge us to do the work of evangelism in our day-to-day lives. So that's the gift of evangelist. Then there's a second gift we haven't touched also in this verse, chapter 4 and verse 11, because after that it says, and some as pastors. The word pastor means shepherd. This is an individual who tends the sheep, who cares for the spiritual needs of others. This is someone who's spiritually enabled to give counsel and correction and encouragement and consolation. Now, this gift is closely related to the work of elders because in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul tells the elders from Ephesus to shepherd the church of God. And in 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter, speaking to elders, says to shepherd the flock of God. But elder is a position. This is a gift. So though all elders have a shepherd's heart, not all elders have this gift of shepherd, this gift of pastor. This is the gift to care for the spiritual well-being of others like a shepherd cares for his sheep, providing protection, nourishment, and care. And the interesting thing about sheep is that you don't drive sheep, you lead sheep. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, Peter says the way a pastor is to lead is by example. He's to care for people 
and he's to be leading people by his own example. That's the gift of pastor. And then come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. I'll give you a little finger exercise today. We're going to jump around a little bit. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll pick up where we left off in verse 28 of chapter 12. It says, And God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings. We've dealt with all those. The next gift is helps. Now, it doesn't get any more practical than that. The word means to come to the aid of someone else, to meet someone else's need. It's from two Greek words. The first is anti, which means to exchange, and the other is lambano, which means to take. And so this word means to take a burden off someone else and exchange it, to place it on yourself. Now, we're all to do that because Galatians 6.2 says we're to bear one another's burdens. But certain individuals have this gift of helps, and they go around and they take burdens off of you, and they put them on themselves. When someone's sick, this is the person who's there at the hospital to visit them. This is the person who cooks a meal for them. This is the person that writes that card that shows up at your house at just the right moment when you need that encouragement. That's a gift. When someone has a need, they meet that need. This is the person who mows your yard when you're so tied up with what you've got going on that you don't have time to do that. The person who comes over and cleans your house, the person who watches your kids, whatever your need is, they're ready to take that burden off of you and put it on themselves. And I find the the best way to figure out who the person is who has this gift, they're usually the first one that is aware of needs in the body. They kind of have special antenna up, and they just kind of find needs in the body And if that's you, that may be an indication that may be the way God has gifted you, that you are a burden taker. God has spiritually gifted you to to lift the burden off other people and to take it on yourself. In fact, sometimes things get done around here before the elders even know there's a need. Because somebody with the gift of helps has already stepped in and provided to meet the need before we even find out about it. And that's the way it ought to operate because that's the way we operate in the body of Christ. It's not a decathlon. We are a body functioning individually in our giftedness. Now, a lot of these gifts have a negative side to them. And I'll just throw some of those out today because there's a negative side to this gift. Because the person who finds out about needs, every need is not necessarily physical. You may have a spiritual need. They might find out that you're having difficulty in your marriage, and that may be the way that they come in and meet that need. But the person who finds out about these needs, there can be a negative side because although I have a spiritual gift, if I'm not walking with the Lord, 
then the way I carry out that gift can produce something negative. And the negative side of this gift is that I may know about needs and I turn it into gossip rather than turning it into something productive where I'm removing the burden from that person. You say, well, Dan, I hope I don't have this gift because there's not a lot of fanfare with the gift of helps. It's not very flashy. Not very impressive. Well, that's true. This is one of those behind-the-scenes gifts. Doesn't get a lot of attention. But let me ask you something. What is the purpose of your spiritual gift? Is it to draw attention to you? No. It's to build up the body of Christ and to please the Lord. So if God has gifted you with the gift of helps, then you need to get your spiritual antenna up, see the needs of other people, and use that gift in ministering to them. Next gift in verse 28 is the gift of administrations. Now that's a Greek word that means to steer a ship or to pilot a ship. It's the ability to see an objective and to set a course to reach that objective. It's the ability to get a group of people from point A to point B. It's the ability to see a goal and to strategize a plan to reach that goal, to determine the direction that we need to go in order to accomplish that goal. Now, as with the other gifts, just because you're trained as a manager or you work as an administrator in your job doesn't mean that you're able to mobilize and steer and direct people in the spiritual realm. This is a spiritual gift. In fact, you may be an assistant janitor at work, and your gift in the body of Christ is administrations. If so, then you need to use that for the glory of God. Now, what's the negative side of this gift? Well, if God has gifted you in administrations that you're able to see an objective and strategize to reach that objective, and you take that giftedness into your secular job situation and you use all your energy there strategizing and administrating, then you have taken God's gift and you're using it in a way that God didn't design for you to use it. So if you're walking in the flesh and you're using your administration, in a, in a secular way than it, rather than a spiritual way, then you're defeating God's purpose for your giftedness. Now, there are several examples of this gift in Scripture, probably none better than in Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus chapter 18, we read about Moses. Moses was a charismatic leader. Everybody wanted to talk to Moses. Everyone wanted to listen to Moses. And Moses at that time was responsible for a projected Two million people. So Moses decided the best way to minister to the people was that he would sit down in a chair 
And everybody would line up, and they would come one by one, and they would talk to Moses, and he would solve their problems. And so he sat there all day long, and people lined up in this long line, and when the day ended, he just said, that's all for today. And they came back the next day, and they lined up, and they came to see Moses. Fortunately, he had a father-in-law named Jethro. Don't name your kids that. Jethro, I think, is an example to us of the gift of administrations because he comes to Moses and he says, why are the people lined up all day long waiting to see you? And Moses' response was, well, where else are they going to go? And Jethro said, well, I got a better idea. Why don't you put leaders over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens And they can respond to those leaders, and those leaders can solve most of their problems. And then when they have problems that the leaders can't solve, they can bring those problems to you. You see, there's a guy who had the ability to see the objective and to organize and mobilize people better to meet that objective. Now, like every gift, this gift may not be one that God has given you to organize the entire church. Your gift may be to help organize your small group of 6 to 12 people. It may be used to help organize and administrate Vacation Bible School or Awana or one of our programs to make it run more efficiently so that we reach the objective in a better way. I couldn't survive without this gift. I, I... I'm visionary, I can see the goal, but I cannot tell you what steps we need to take to reach the goal. So I have to have people with the gift of administration to be able to say, all right, if we're going to reach that goal by such and such a time, then we need to take step A, step B, step C, step D. That's the administrator with that gift to be able to put into place the strategy to reach the objective. Now, turn over to Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans chapter 12. He mentions some more gifts here. In verse 6, he says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, and we've talked about prophecy. And then look at verse 7. If service in his serving. There is a gift of service, or your Bible may say ministry. That's just a fancy word for serving. Now, all gifts are service, but there is a special gift of serving. And again, this is one of those gifts that happens behind the scenes. You ever gather together and we we maybe have a a get-together and we serve snacks over in the um, whatever that place is where we eat snacks? (laughs) And we're over there and you see somebody pick up a broom and they start sweeping the floor. 
and you turn to your wife and say, I wonder who pays him to do that? Nobody. See, that's service. You see somebody picking up the trash and tying it off and carrying it out to the dumpster. What is that? That's service. See people come up here and and drive the bus to pick up kids and bring them back here for Awana. Spending their Sunday afternoon to do it. That's service for the body of Christ. You see somebody bringing flowers every Sunday. That's service. You see somebody coaching our kids' basketball team. That's service. It's taping this message right now. It's working the lights right now so that I look so handsome. It's finding what needs to be done and doing it. It, It's serving people in the multitude of ways that that can be accomplished. You see, that's a spiritual gift. You say, well, Dan, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, it is. You see, you look at me, and I'm up here proclaiming the Word of God, and you think, my, how spiritual that is. You see, that's my gift. I didn't pick it. God gave it to me, and I am responsible to use it. But let me say this, and please listen to me. If God had given me the gift of service, he would be just as pleased if I was serving others with that giftedness. I'm not responsible for how God gifted me. I am responsible for using my gift to the glory of God. And there is a gift of service, whereby if you have that gift, your responsibility in the body is to serve other people with your time, your money, and your efforts. And, of course, the negative side of this gift is the Martha syndrome. If you have the gift of service, you tend to be elbow deep in service, and sometimes you look around and go, well, why isn't anybody else helping me? The Martha syndrome. And again, you have to keep it into perspective. This is a spiritual gift, and you're doing it as service unto the Lord. And then in verse 7, he mentions teaching that we already talked about. And then in verse 8, he says, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. The word exhortation means to comfort, to strengthen, to stir people up in a positive way. The root word is paraclete, a name given to the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And so the person who has this gift goes around comforting people and strengthening people and stirring them up. The person who has this gift is the person that you have a conversation with them, and they sort of interject certain things into the conversation that comfort you or strengthen you or challenge you. And I know people like that. I have a conversation with you, and I go away from the conversation thinking, you know what? They just kick me in the behind. And we were having a nice conversation, and they sort of interjected that little challenge. Well, you know, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And that's exhorting you. Luther said, teaching is directed to the ignorant, exhortation to those who know better. Hmm. You know, I hear a guy like last week, Michael came back from that, that conference, Men at the Cross, and he came back and said, I was really challenged to love my wife. 
And I thought, well, didn't you know you're supposed to love your wife? Sure you do. But sometimes going to a conference and hearing somebody else say it and seeing guys rally around that says, you know what, I need to, I, I need to get challenged to really make that a priority in my life. That's exhortation. It's nothing new. It's just the challenge to know what you already know you ought to be doing. Keith Green used to call himself the elbow in the body of Christ. What's an elbow do? I know when I used to put it on the table, my mom used to say, get it off. What's an elbow do? An elbow moves the hand to do some work. And he used to say, that's, that's me. I'm the elbow. I exhort other people to get out there and do the work. Not really on the front lines, but exhorting you to do what God has called you to do. That's the elbow. That's the gift of exhortation. And, of course, the negative side to this gift is when you don't do it in love. When you say, I've, I've got this gift of exhortation, I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm not going to be tactful about it, and I'm not going to love you in that context. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to vomit on you and hope you do something about it. That won't work. You see, I have to do it in a spiritual realm in a way where I'm communicating that challenge to you in a way that you can receive it as from the Lord. And then verse 8 goes on to say, he who gives with liberality. Some people have the gift of giving. Now again, giving is something we're all to be doing, but there are certain individuals in the body who are gifted with this special capacity to give. They just can't seem to give enough. And he says, when you have that gift, you're to do it with liberality. And there's two meanings behind that word. Both apply. One means with generosity or to give freely. And the other meaning of that word is with simplicity or with singleness of mind. The person with the gift of giving sees a need, and it's very simple for them, very single-minded for them. They see a need, and they meet that need. The rest of us sit around and go, well, how much should I give and how much will I have left if I give that? The person with this gift sees that and has a singleness of mind to give. They give generously and they give with a singleness of mind with no consideration of themselves. And so the way you can tell a person like this is they don't give with a calculator in their hand. They see a need and they give. And what's interesting to me is when you look in Scripture, some of the people that had this gift were not rich. They were actually poor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says the Macedonians gave freely out of their deep poverty, and Paul says they begged us for the privilege of being able to give. That's interesting. Why would you give the gift of giving to somebody who didn't have anything? Well, ask God. You know, if you were running this thing, you would give the gift of giving to all the rich people. They'd give it to the poor people, and we'd keep it. This is a gift that God gives. You see, 
you may have this gift, and you may be refraining from using this gift because you're thinking, if I give too much, I won't have anything left. God may be waiting for you to start giving so that he can give you, like the widow, that jar of oil that never runs dry. You know, you start to give. God's not going to let you out give him. If you've got this gift, you start giving, he's going to resupply you with the capacity to give more. That's the gift to give. That's why it doesn't matter if you've got a lot or a little. If you've got this gift, God will give you the means to give. One of my favorite people in church history is a guy named C.T. Studd. He inherited a tremendous amount of money from his father, about 29,000 pounds back in the 1880s. He took that money and he gave 5,000 pounds to D.L. Moody, who used it to start Moody Bible Institute. He gave 5,000 pounds to George Mueller to use in missions and orphanages. He gave 5,000 pounds to George Holland, who used it among the poor in London. He gave 5,000 pounds to Booth Tucker, who used it for the Salvation Army in India. He gave further thousands to Hudson Taylor, who used it with the China Inland Mission, and several, several other thousands to various missionaries. And then he gave the remaining amount to General Booth for the Salvation Army. And he saved 3,400 pounds for he and his wife. And when he gave that away, he, he wrote a letter. And I won't read the whole letter to you, but I just want to read two little inserts out of his letter that accompanied these gifts. He says... Henceforth, our bank is in heaven. You see, we are rather afraid, notwithstanding the great earthly safety of the Bank of England, we are, I say, rather afraid that they may both break on the judgment day. You didn't get the humor in that? Then he says, now this does not come from me, for I was told that the Bible says, he that provideth not for his own house hath denied the faith and is worth than an infidel. So I just took the whole pot and gave it to my little wife, wherewith to provide for the household, and so now it is she who sends this money regarding heaven as the safest bank, and moreover, thinking it is so handy. You have no trouble about checks or rates of exchange but just ask and receive that your joy may be full. There's a guy that had the gift of giving. He gave all of that money away, and he said, you know, it's a lot simpler project. I don't have to worry about rates, interest rates, and all of that. I just ask and I receive. He and his wife took the 3,400 pounds. In fact, if you want to read about C.T. Studd, you can, you can borrow this book. Well, you can't borrow it. You have to buy it. Um, No, you can borrow it. He was a cricket player. In fact, he was like the Michael Jordan of cricket. Had a future in front of him that he was going to be a top sports star, and he walked away from that as well. And he and his wife took 3,400 pounds, and they spent the rest of their lives 
in Africa serving God. There's a guy who gave his money, gave his career, and gave his life to serve the Lord. And I think that's a reflection of the gift of giving that challenges the rest of us to say, we need to give as well. And of course, the negative side of the gift of giving can be pride. It's like the the lady who was showing the visiting pastor around the church, and she walked him down to the front and said, uh, uh, that communion set was given by our family anonymously. (laughs) Next gift in verse 8 is he who leads with diligence. Some have the gift of leading. Now, again... This is one of those gifts that you would expect some of the elders to have because 1 Timothy 5.17 speaks of the elders who rule well, and it's the same word. And in Hebrews 13, it refers to elders as leaders. But again, that is a position. This is a gift. And there are certain individuals who have a, a gift of leadership. They are able to look down the road and have a vision about where God is taking us and then be willing to step out and take the leadership in that capacity. And as I said earlier, many of those who have the gift of leadership need those with the gift of administration to help plot out that strategy. And Paul says here it's to be done with diligence. That word means zeal or speed, act quickly step out and go because we all tend to procrastinate and especially when you're leading God's people in a spiritual realm you're kind of like Peter not wanting to step out of the boat and so he says if you're gonna if you got this gift of leadership get out there and lead and do it now the Corinthians had that gift because we're told they had all the gifts but they had no one who was willing to step up and fix the problem that they had in their breaking a bread service. They were getting drunk in that service, and they didn't have a leader who would step in and say, wait a minute, we got to change this. we got to correct this. And, of course, the negative side of this gift is that you lead even when you're going in the wrong direction. Kind of like Peter. Peter was a a leader. Disciples followed him. Remember when when he said in uh, John 21, I'm going fishing, says the other disciples followed him because he was a leader. He was going in the wrong direction. Going back to fishing, they still followed him. And that's the negative side of this gift. And then there's one final gift. It says in verse 8, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is compassion, pity. It's usually displayed towards someone who either doesn't deserve it, or can't return it. This is the gift where you find someone who goes and weeps with those who weep. When somebody loses a baby, this is the person who shows up there. Doesn't have a whole lot to say, may not have anything to say. Just to be there and cry with that couple and show mercy to them in that situation. It might be expressed by caring for those who don't, aren't very often cared for. We read about that in the 
example in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan. Others walked by this guy who had a need. They didn't care about him. But it says about this Samaritan man, it says he felt compassion for him. He felt mercy for him and met his need. There are certain Christians, there are certain people in this body that I know that seems like every time I see you, you have some needy person attached to you. You seem to accumulate. You seem to be drawn to. You seem to be a magnet for people who have need. Why is that? Because you have that mercy and compassion that they are drawn to. God has it for us. We're all to have it for others. God has specially gifted certain people with that capacity. And the negative side of this gift, he tells us in verse 8, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The negative side of this gift is if you're drawing needy people to you and you're not where you need to be spiritually, what happens? You're going to start grumbling about the fact that you're always giving and they're not giving back. And so he says, if you got this gift, do it with cheerfulness. Six weeks we've gone through this. Have you found your gift yet? If you haven't, my advice for you is to pick one and try it. Start with helps or service. Try doing something. As as you do it, then evaluate, do I find real fulfillment from the Lord in doing this? And how do other people respond when I do it? Are other people encouraging me that I'm ministering to them and building them up in the body of Christ? That's a simple way you evaluate your gifts. The church is not a decathlon. We are all to get in the game and get involved in the event that God has called us to strive in and to have as our goal to build up the body of Christ and to please and glorify the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for the opportunity again to look at the gifts that you've given to your children. And Lord, as we've looked at those over the last few weeks, I pray that you would challenge each of us to be honest and open before you, to ask you to show us how you've made us and prepared us and gifted us to be used in the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray as we, as we do that, as we function in the way that you have called us and gifted us, that this church might move forward in power, that this church might be all that you've called it to be, because we as individuals are doing what you've asked us to do. And we will be careful in all of that to give you the glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name.